This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Kerry Sackville is an Australian author and social commentator who writes regularly for Sunday Life magazine and dozens of publications worldwide. She has appeared frequently on commercial and ABC radio networks, podcasts and TV shows. She is the author of five books, including The Life-Changing Magic of a Little Bit of Mess. Her latest book, The Secret Life of You, is about how a bit of alone time can change your life, relationships, and maybe even the world. Kerry Sackville, welcome to Be Better. Oh, so good to be here. (laughs) I'm really thrilled that you're here today because... um, Anyone who is a regular listener of the podcast knows that I'm a big proponent of meditation and also being able to view our own thoughts and our own internal programs. And I think this is a really wonderful and quite different take on all of that. You know, there are a lot of books out there on meditation. There are a lot of books out there on neuroplasticity and looking at our programs. This is very different. Just tell the listeners a little bit about the book, The Elevator Pitch. Oh, The Elevator Pitch. (laughs) So back in 2020, at the start of lockdown, I went through a really, really difficult time. I'd been single divorced for many years Um, I was in lockdown here in Sydney with three kids, two of whom were quite unhappy. Uh, I lost a lot of my work because I work in the media and the media was, you know, taking a big hit. Mm. And I was really struggling and I found myself spending hours and hours and hours just scrolling through my phone. And I'd been lonely, but I found that the more time I spent on my phone, actually the lonelier and more disconnected I felt. And at one point, I decided that I needed to make a change and none of the usual distractions that I I have in my everyday life were available to me because we're in lockdown. So I couldn't see people. I couldn't date because I've been doing a lot of quite frenetic dating. Um, You know, I couldn't meet my friends. I couldn't walk around my local shopping center. And so I was left with myself and I was distracting myself as much as possible by turning to my phone. And I decided to stop and I put down my phone and I decided to learn just to be with myself, with my thoughts. And it was a whole process. It was really difficult, but it was so rewarding. And as a result of that, I did a lot of research into the importance of alone time because I realized that, you know, I'm now in my fifties. And back when I was growing up, I had plenty of incidental moments of alone time during the day. And when I say alone time, I mean time alone with my thoughts. Mm. We don't have that anymore. Mm. You know, I was, as a child, if I was in my bedroom, if I was on the bus, if I was walking to school, if I was sitting in the back of my parents' car, I would have no choice but to be alone with my thoughts. But now in all of those situations, we can just pick up our phones. Mm. And because we can pick up our phones, we often do. And people, I believe, have lost the art of just turning inwards instead of outwards. And we are consuming so much content and we are ignoring all the content that's in our minds. And there's huge consequences to that. So this book is about the importance of spending time alone with your thoughts. It's about why so many people find it difficult, 
It's about the benefits of alone time when you do um, when you do spend some time alone. And then at the end of the book, there's very very specific um, exercises and techniques mm. to help people who are frightened of being alone um, to get used to to become comfortable with and to even embrace alone mm. time. It's a very long elevator pitch, Jane. No, it's great. And it covers the real guts of the book. I love that in the book you actually do separate it into alone time and alone time with people around you. Yes. You know, and the fact that we, you know, had so much alone time, even if we were working in a field or we were, you know, doing our kids' things or whatever, pre-digital, we had a lot of time just to reflect. Yes. Think and uh, be alone with our thoughts. And that is something that barely exists today. And for kids, particularly, we are, I mean, I watch as my 15 year old, my youngest is 15, and she grows up attached to her phone. Mm. And kids, in particular, are being robbed of alone time. And that is going to have huge consequences for the next generation. I mean, it already is having huge Mm. consequences for mental health, for self-awareness, for creativity, Mm. um, for the development of of a moral center and moral courage. It's really, it's really expansive. And so this book is really a cry to people to um, be aware of how we're all kind of living our lives now Mm. and to make changes. And it's funny because people have such strong feelings about alone time. As soon as you mention to, to anybody, people will either be like, I, I absolutely need it. You know, I, I couldn't mm. function without alone time or God, no, absolutely not. Don't mm. want to know what's going on in, inside my own head. So it's really telling how, mm. how passionate people get about mm. it. I need it. Uh, I really need it and love it. Yeah. I was hooked the moment I opened this book and said, you know, what it says, why is it so scary to be alone with your thoughts? And um, it's something that you learn to do. I've always been creative. So spent a lot of time by myself reading as a child. And, you know, I like my own company. And then I was studying meditation. This is uh, probably about 15 years ago. I went to my first 10 day silent retreat thinking I'm going to love this because I love my own company. And um, I didn't love it. It was hell. Yeah. It was hell because it was the first time that, so being alone with a book or with something to fill your time is very different to being alone with your thoughts. Yes. Yes. And so I made uh, the distinction in the book. It's really important to be clear about that, that alone time isn't necessarily being physically alone. Mm. Um, you can be physically alone and not alone with your thoughts. So, and many of us are, so you can be physically alone and listening to a podcast. You can be physically alone and watching TV. You can be physically alone and connected to other people through your phone. You can be texting a friend. You can be scrolling through Instagram. You can be swiping through a dating site. You know, you Mm. can just be watching YouTube videos. On the other side of the coin, you can be surrounded by people and be turned inwards and be alone with your thoughts. So again, that example of somebody on a bus. Now, nowadays you sit on a bus and you look around and everybody's on their phone, but back in, back in the day, you know, you would sit on a bus and people would either be talking to each other or staring out the window. And when they were staring out the window, they were lost in their own thoughts. So you can be surrounded by people in a park or at the beach or by a pool or in a train and be turned inwards. So being alone is the act of turning into your into your own thoughts, spending time in the privacy of your own mind, allowing yourself to daydream, 
trawling through memories, asking yourself questions, thinking your thoughts, all of that is alone time, whatever your physical circumstances are. Mm, I find that um, I not only work here, but I write as well. And I'm working on a, a novel at the moment. And because life is so busy, I'm not having the time just to, I, I call it sort of really digging in deep into yeah. my mind and and you're pulling at threads until something comes out yes. and you really need that space. So I've actually had to make that space in periods that normally something else took up that space. So I like listening to audiobooks when I'm driving. But recently I've been so busy and haven't had that time just to sit and think that I'm not doing anything but thinking while I'm driving at the moment. Oh, that's great. And not, that's and so not good. doing the audiobooks because you need it. Your brain needs that nourishment of just being with it and sitting with it. I love this quote in your introduction, what does it mean to be alone? Uh, you say, uh, perhaps most importantly, we need alone time to help us ward off loneliness. We cannot connect fully and deeply with any other person if we have not yet connected with ourselves. We all want to be loved for who we truly are, but if we don't know who we are, how can we possibly feel known? I, oh, I love, love that. that. I love that too. I'm so glad you picked up on that. That's one of my favourite kind of concepts in the book because a lot of the time I would say to people, I'm writing a book about alone time and what they would hear is I'm writing a book about loneliness Mm. and it's actually the opposite. Meaningful solitude is the opposite of loneliness. So loneliness is that sense of disconnection. It's the gap between the connection that we feel at any given moment and the connection we desire. So when we're lonely, we're craving connection. Um, And everybody feels that the answer to loneliness is more interaction with other people. And in fact, that's not the case. The cure for loneliness is connection, but that connection has to start with yourself. Mm. And if you are not connected with yourself, you're not going to connect well with anybody else for exactly the reason that you just, because of the quote you just read out. But also when we are not connected to ourselves, we're more and more reliant on other people to kind of fill our emotional cup. Mm. So if you know what I mean by that. So we're relying on other people for our sense of self, for our sense of feeling nurtured, for our sense of validation. And the more we rely on other people, the more lonely we're going to be because people can never meet all of our needs. Mm. And we live in this culture where you know we place a huge amount of store on relationships and particularly on romantic relationships. And we expect other people to be everything to us. And if we can't learn to spend time alone, we can't learn to nurture ourselves, to validate ourselves, to chat to ourselves, to entertain ourselves. We're going to be in a very precarious position emotionally because, you know, it's like me talking to you now. If I'm reliant on you to meet all my needs and you are feeling exhausted or you want to go off and do your own thing or you just don't have um, the emotional resources today to meet my needs, then I'm going to be lost. So I have to be able to do that for myself. And then the more I can do that, then the more we're going to be able to connect you know, without desperation, without need, we're going to be able to enjoy each other's company when we do spend time together because we're both coming from a place of of connection and and a a fuller cup. Mm, And it's really only when you, because you you don't really get who you want in life, you get who you are in relationships when you're going out and, and meeting people. So unless you know who you are and it takes some time, 
by yourself to reflect and to observe and to get to know yourself and then to go, okay, I need to be a better version of myself in these areas. If I'm wanting connection at a different level, you know, particularly yeah. when you've left a marriage or a relationship. I, I love that you um, spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about being single. And yeah. uh, there's a, a great quote that I jotted down here, actually. If you are a single person struggling with being alone, try having periods of not dating. Yes. Great advice. Great advice. Yes. And I actually, I decided after my last relationship broke down to spend five years doing just that. Yeah. And I, I didn't expect it to go on so long, but I I just really enjoyed being alone, Yeah, you know, and then when I finally did go out there, it was someone very different who came and, and matched up because I'd spent so much time being alone. Well, I was very, very slow to come to that idea, regrettably, but I I was single for eight and a half years and for about seven of those years, I was, I think I said before, quite frenetically dating. And what had happened is I had been in back-to-back relationships from the time I was 17 years old and I divorced at 46. I had never been alone. I didn't know how to be alone. And again, when you don't know how to be alone, you are approaching dating from a really disempowered position. You make really bad decisions because you will basically accept anyone and any kind of relationship because just being with someone is better than the terror of being alone. And I think our society is is hugely to blame. You know, we, we really stigmatise singledom as if it's some kind of terrible aberrant state like on the way to, to couple town. And if you're stuck at the single station, then really something's <laughs> wrong with you. And in those eight and a half years, honestly, I lost track of the number of times people would say to me, why are you single? As if there's a reason, like as if, as if something is, is wrong with me. And in all the years I was married and in the time that I've, I've been in a relationship, no one has ever asked me, why are you in a relationship? And so what I found is once I stopped dating and once I really did let go of the idea of a relationship entirely, and learn how to be comfortable by myself. When I did meet someone, I was approaching it from a completely different position. I was approaching it from a position of um, this person really has to be better than being alone because I'm really happy by myself. That's and, the key, isn't it? That I, is yes. so true. And I suddenly mm. had standards and boundaries that I'd never had before. Mm-hmm. And so my advice to anybody who is struggling on the dating scene, and I have been there, I, I mean, I wrote a book about dating in midlife. Like I really lived it. And my advice is just stop because Mm. being on your own is actually much, much better than being in the wrong relationship and even just being on these awful dates with people that you don't connect with. You can actually feel so much lonelier sitting opposite someone that you have nothing in common with and and no point of connection than you do at home with your own thoughts or, you know, reading a good book, pottering around your house, traveling by yourself, you know. Being content. You know, but it takes a lot to get to that point. And when you do, and it's hard won, you know, you do, you look at any potential partners, just go, okay, you've you've got to just, you've got to make my life better. Yes. Or I'm happy the way it is. Yes. And you actually find that you create better relationships Mm. anyway when you are comfortable in yourself because, again, you're not approaching the relationship from a a position of desperation or need. Mm. You know, you are two complete people who are happy on your own and you come together, enjoy each other's company, but you, you're not rescuing each other from anything because there's nothing to rescue. Mm. You know, it's it's just, I, I see it so often. I think if 
we tried to reshape how we think as a society about relationships and about being single, I think then, again, paradoxically, probably the divorce rate would, would go down because people would take longer to get into relationships. They would have better standards. They would be more choosy. And then they wouldn't expect the other person to, to rescue them or to save them. They would be rescuing and saving themselves. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's interesting. You say here that uh, society is heavily biased towards extroversion. Yes. Talk that's, to me about that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another huge thing because there's, you know, what I talked about in, in the book was why it's so hard for so many people to be alone. And that's a big part of it. You know, our society does not value mm-hmm. introversion as a quality. Um, we value extroverts. We, we value people who are loud, who can make themselves heard. And honestly, social media has amplified that a thousandfold, you know, Influences have to be very big and and performative and attention seeking, and that's all great. But we're undervaluing what introverts bring to the equation, and we're undervaluing time spent alone with our thoughts. And so you see that, for example, I mean, now so many more people are working from home, but you know, again, before the pandemic, open plan offices have become the norm. And you know, I read a lot of books by by very high achievers talking about how they got to where, where they got to. And a lot of them said that they would not be able to do that in today's culture because workplaces aren't giving people time and space to think, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually spoke to one person um, I talked about in the book who was running a busy new newsroom and she found it almost impossible because she never, ever had time alone in the workday. And she was becoming more and more frazzled and more and more stressed and she couldn't work efficiently because she didn't have any time just to sit and think and process. And so... Unfortunately, because we don't value introversion, we don't value time spent alone with our thoughts, we're missing out on a huge amount and we're not um, encouraging that alone time. We're not encouraging that creativity. And again, if we if we don't encourage that, if we're constantly putting people into, into open plan offices or everything is about brainstorming in groups, everything is about being loud, then we're missing out on all the gifts that introverts can bring, mm. which is a, a, a thoughtfulness, which is um, a creativity, which is a more quiet productivity. And also exploring those sides of ourselves. If we have both introversion and extroversion in in balance, you know, we tend to constantly be that extroverted version of ourselves. Yes, and most of us are. Like I consider myself to be an extroverted introvert in that I like spending time with people, but then I need to come back and spend time on my own. Um, but that other side isn't as valued. And it's funny, I did a Google search um, of, how, you know, if you Google how to be more extroverted, you come up with, I can't even remember what it was, but it was millions and millions, probably billions of hits. There's so much on the internet encouraging people to become more extroverted because that's what we value. But if you Google how to be more introverted, you still get the the hits on how to be more extroverted. <laughs> There's nothing about that. And so I guess my book is is partly a call to that as well, to say mm. it's okay to be introverted, it's okay to spend time alone. Um, in fact, it's more than okay, it's really important. And we, again, as a society, need to stop being 
critical of and even suspicious of introverts. You know, yes. we do that so much. It's it's like people who are loners. Oh gosh, they they're a bit strange. Oh, you want to take yourself off on a holiday alone? You're sitting at a restaurant alone. What's up with that? I mean, it's actually a wonderful thing. A person who can spend time alone is a person who has rich inner resources. They have a rich inner life. They have an imagination. They can mm-hmm. daydream. I mean, it's aspirational. It's it's not suspicious. It's wonderful. I know a couple of men actually who you know separately, but who've said the same thing to me they live alone they are loners but not weird um but they've got dogs because if they go to the beach or if they chat to someone in the park it just makes it one one of my friends said it's just easier if I've got a dog there you know than I go from being a dog owner to creep you know creepy old man if I don't have the but isn't that sad isn't it sad Mm. that we're suspicious of people who are happy in their own company Mm. yeah Mm. and it's quite a modern thing it didn't used to be this way you know I back in 18th, early 19th century, you know, people would take themselves off. Artists and mm. writers and poets would take themselves off, you know, to that that kind of classic cottage in the woods. To, yeah, the w- to, Walden Pond. Exactly, <laughs> to write and they'd have their, you know, their patron who would sponsor mm. this whole thing. And people thought it was, again, thought it was aspirational. They're going off to be creative and what masterpiece are they going to come up with? I mean, if I told someone now I'm going to go and take myself off into a cottage in the woods by myself for six weeks, it'd be like, oh, does she need an intervention? Like, yes. Is she okay? <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's just, it's a real shame. It just shows that we're not valuing that kind of creativity and that kind of contemplation. And any great works of art, any great inventions, you know, any great pieces of music, they need solitude and they need mm. contemplation. Thinkers, you need you need time alone to think because if you don't have time alone, you're constantly reacting. You're constantly consuming other people's content and you're never able to come up with an original thought. We need solitude for original thought and for creativity. Mm, I agree. And I, I schedule in weekends. I don't tell anyone this, but people <laughs> are about to find out where I have nothing on. You know, so, it's so like you, you ring Jane and you're like, can yeah, I, you know, do you want to yeah. go out? So she goes, I'm so sorry, I'm busy. She's actually at home. Yeah, I, I do that. And it, I mean, not every week, but every, every few months, I have yeah. that weekend where I just I'm downtime for me. I need it. And I feel it mentally after because I meditate a lot on those weekends and just refuel. Yeah. Well, we need it just for emotional regulation. Mm. We are all so overstimulated. Our brains are just not designed to cope with this level of constant stimulation, Mm. you know, to be opening our computers or our phones in the morning and having this barrage of information and this barrage, a lot of it of horror stories as well, mm. um, and then barrage of images and sounds, and we're not meant to be in constant contact. So, mm. again, we have this expectation that everybody is contactable 24-7. It's not meant to turn off your phones, and we're constantly getting pings and notifications, and our brains can't deal with all of that. Um, we need downtime just to decompress. Mm. You know, we need downtime just for our own emotional regulation. Our brains need time to power down. If we're constantly talking to other people, interacting, consuming content, looking at lights and colours and listening to sounds and and moving images and we just never get a chance for our brains to just have a rest. It's not enough just when we're sleeping. We need to have time during the day when we're not stimulated. Um, And also, and you write here on a chapter on the mind, we need to switch off from all of that because we actually need to face our mind 
Yeah. You know, and you write in chapter 11, if every person on earth was able to be alone with their thoughts, the world would be a much better place. I agree. And I've always said this. And in fact, I've always said, imagine if every child starting now just learned how to meditate. Yeah. You know, within a generation, the world would be a very different place because people would be comfortable with their own thoughts and observing their own patterns and programs. And so talk to me about what you mean. Oh, there's a couple of things with that. One of one of them is what you just kind of referred to, but we we would all be a lot less reactive. Um, we would all be much more self-aware. We'd all be much more emotionally regulated. But there's another side to that as well and something I feel really passionately about. You know, the more research I did into people who are radicalised, people who subscribe to conspiracy theories, what's happening is that most of the time in those situations, if you take them away from the situation and you ask them to describe their system of beliefs, they can't answer in full because a lot of the time, particularly with the conspiracy theories, particularly with hate fuel theories, they don't actually make sense, these theories. Um, but what's happening is people are falling into groupthink. And in groupthink, the reality isn't what makes the most sense or what is logical. The reality is what the rest of the group thinks. You know, there's been studies that I, I talk about in the book from people who, who you know, researched far-right um, ideologies or hate speech or, um, or conspiracy theorists. And what happens is that a lot of the time it's not that this person is naturally filled with hate or is an evil person. It's a failure to step back and reflect on what they are listening to, seeing, reading about. It's a failure to think. So there's not so much a system of evil as a sort of yeah, failure to contemplate and to reflect on what they're doing. So we all need time to step away from the computer, to step away from other people, to put down our books, to put, you know, put down our, our phones and turn off the podcast and actually reflect and say, you know, is what we're listening to, reading about, hearing, does this make sense to me? Do I believe this? Are there flaws in this? Um, do I really want to be carried along on this path and just take some time away? So I interviewed um, a politician for the book and he was talking about how this works in Parliament. He said that even in Parliament when they're having late nights and they're all talking and listening, they don't get time by themselves, but he said things kind of become more and more um, heightened and they find themselves carried on a path that they wouldn't necessarily have taken if they all took time to to just stop and think. So he always tried to take himself out, have a walk, have a think, um, just kind of power down before he went back and approached it again. So I really do believe in, in the importance, particularly in the age that we live in, of everybody just taking time to stop and think and contemplate and mm. reflect on what they're doing, how they're living their lives and what they believe. Yeah, see, uh, the other side of that, the other aspect of that is also just being able to sit with your own heightened emotions. Yes. You know, yes, and absolutely. being a- being able to regulate them. And in Chapter 14, you write about just sitting with things. You say the greatest challenge of solitude is learning to tolerate difficult emotions, which I love. So in the second lockdown for me, but the first lockdown was great. Actually, it was one of the happiest times of my life. I was very fortunate that I had work and I was locked away with my two sons and uh, I had the opportunity to really embrace what I already loved and that's solitude. But I went into the second lockdown a week after someone I loved very much died and I understand 
now through years of meditating, the just facing these difficult emotions rather than running from it. So it was second lockdown for me was very difficult, but at the same time, very freeing because I had the opportunity to, I didn't drink. I was stuck in lockdown. I couldn't be busy or try. I just had to face it, you know, and face every single thing that came up with this grief that I was feeling. And it was actually a gift to be able to do that. It's very important to be able to face these hard, difficult emotions that we feel. So important. And we are so bad at it. And again, our society is really bad at dealing with grief. I mean, I've been bereaved. I write about it in the book, but we are very bad at dealing with any negative emotion. And it's almost like we all expect life to be good and for us to feel happy all the time. And if we don't, there's something wrong and it's scary. And so we kind of push those feelings away and we distract ourselves and we distract ourselves with other people, with alcohol, with social media, with other forms of interactions with people. and. The problem with that is that if we don't actually sit with our feelings, they come back and they bite us on the bum eventually. You can't actually escape your negative feelings. You can just kind of keep pushing them down, but they will pop up. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get through grief, the only way to get through any negative emotion, anger or fear or resentment is to actually sit with it. And when we're never alone, when we're never alone with our thoughts, we never have time to process those emotions. And so we're constantly running from them. And as I said, they'll pop up in other ways. Mm. So we all need time for the, you know, the big life emotions, you know, like grief, like disappointment, like, you know, despair or anxiety. But just during the day, we do just to, to regulate ourselves. You know, we, we all know that feeling of getting home at the end of a really big day and feeling really stressed. And you find yourself like yelling at your child for absolutely no reason because you're just stressed. If we could take some time, for example, when we're driving home, turn off the radio and just sit and process, then chances are we can come home in a bit bit more of a regulated state and then not be so reactive. Mm. Um, and it's it's very hard. It's particularly hard when, you know, it was very hard during lockdown when everyone was on top of each other all the time and, and we didn't necessarily have that space. So then you have to kind of carve out space for yourself. Super important. Mm, I think I like that you say that self-care isn't just about bubble baths, (laughs) you know, and this is all a part of self-care, but also having, you know, self-compassion and kind to yourself. You know, this is a process to be able to learn how to be alone and to do this, Um, but it's so important. So what do you hope that readers take away from your book? I really hope that people make, first of all, people who, who do enjoy time alone feel really validated. Um, because there are people who love I do. their it's solitude for me. So, yeah, <laughs> to feel validated and to continue on that and to not try to be more, more outgoing, to not try and, and, you know, spend more time with people to recognize that that solitude is just so nurturing and important and valid. And so to feel good about, about those choices, but for the people who struggle with being alone or who haven't prioritized it, um, I really hope that people make incremental changes. Um, and are empowered to do that through the book. So I want to actually, I, th- I think it's wonderful you went on your silent retreat, but you know, I'm very clear. I'm not telling people that they need to go and, and spend 10 days, you know, not talking to anyone. I'm not even recommending people go on a three-day silent retreat or any silent retreat. What I suggest are really small changes to incorporate small moments of solitude into your day. So for example, if you go you know, for a daily walk, 
perhaps for, for the first 10 minutes of that daily walk, turn off your podcasts. I mean, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. Um, and I listen to audio books as well, but we don't have to listen to them 24 seven. So mm. have out 10 minutes to go and walk and just allow yourself to daydream. Or if you have a daily commute, you know, maybe when you're sitting on the train or you're sitting in your car, just give yourself some time alone with your thoughts. Um, and I've got, you know, various, um, exercises that you can try, you know, what, what kind of things you can do when you're alone, but things like going in and spending time in nature, if you're really struggling, just sitting under a tree, you know, we're genetically programmed to find nature soothing. So it can be really soothing for someone who, who does struggle with being alone with their thoughts to go and sit under a tree for, for five minutes to try journaling. You know, journaling is an amazing way to process your emotions, to kind of get your, your thoughts out of your head and onto the page. One of the things I suggest is resentment journaling. You know, we're all told to, to do gratitude journaling, which is great. It's really important to be grateful. But when you've got resentments, when you've got negative emotions, it can also be incredibly cathartic to, to put them on the page. You find that once you've written about it, you can just in point form or you can use an, you know, an app or, um, though I, I really am a fan of pen and paper, but it really does help to, you know, by the time you finished writing it out, you, you feel relieved. You, you feel like you've, you know, you just unburdened yourself. So I'm hoping that people can see the value of time alone with their thoughts. And in a, a world where so many people are just spending all day, every day, distracted and consuming content from other people that people feel, inspired and, and encouraged and safe to, to go inwards for a little bit. Because the way I look at it is it's like, I guess, going on a long car journey. Imagine you're going on this long car, car journey for say a year, right? And you've got a passenger with you, but you spend the entire car journey looking out the window and it's great. And you see all these wonderful things going by, but in that whole year, you never ever turn to your passenger and ask about them mm. and find out about the person sitting next to you, but you're the passenger in your life. You know, you are the person who is going to be beside you for the rest of your life. Other people will come and go. Sometimes they'll be there. Sometimes they won't. Friends change. Your kids grow up and move out. You are the one constant. And if you never actually get into your own head and explore who you are, what you enjoy, what your thoughts are, what your preferences are, what your opinions are, what you want out of life, your fantasies, if you never get into that, you are missing so much and you need time alone to do that. Know thyself. <laughs> know thyself. <laughs> the book is The Secret Life of You, Kerry Sackville. Thanks so much for talking to me today. I really loved it. I really just go out and buy it, everyone. I think it's important for us all. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.